That quip that you heard at the end of the last segment was Oliver Stone, the famed movie, movie director, expressing what I like to call Biden's remorse. Is that the same feeling when you buy a car on the lot and you realize that you're stuck with a lemon? Yeah, same feeling. Uh, welcome back to the program. Don't forget, we uh, website is up and running, so you can always catch these and share these podcasts with your friends, speakingoutamerica.com. Uh, also, I have a new website where I post my articles, jimwatkins1.com. If you want to check that out. Also, I have a podcast that I have reignited called the Coronavirus Update, which you can find on Spotify. And that's an important podcast that we've just relaunched because uh, there's a lot more news coming out. There's more talk about variants. There's a new variant. I just got over a variant. Uh, this is the age of the variants. And um, there was even some sort of nebulous headline about how the U.S. is launching a new pandemic. You know, So there's all kinds of noise out there and that's kind of why i do the coronavirus update podcast is because i I get rid of the noise i get rid of it and i focus on the data and reliable sources that are not uh not uh affected or influenced by big pharma it's not easy to do but i've honed my skills of being able to see through the fake news unlike many of my, my 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 friends uh, and so now we're talking about a possible hurricane, uh, but this time on the West Coast, uh, the Weather Service uh, has announced that Hurricane Hillary, a little irony there, now major hurricane with significant impacts expected in California, and particularly the Southwest, where we have a lot of our affiliates there, including Talk 960 in the high desert over there in uh, Victorville. So there's going to be some possible flash flooding coming in the week ahead, Hurricane Hillary rapidly intensified into a Category 3 cyclone on Thursday, and forecasters said that the hurricane's path means the storm could bring significant impacts to Southern California and the Southwest by the weekend and certainly into the first part of next week. And they don't usually get it wrong. I noticed one thing on the Pacific side, that hurricanes are not as unpredictable. It's interesting because I, maybe it's because of the, the contour of the coast. Maybe it's because of the fact that you're not dealing with all these different kinds of bodies of water because, you know, here on the East Coast, we've got the Gulf, which interacts with the Atlantic, which also interacts with the uh, Caribbean. So you've got a lot of different winds and shapes and all these things. And that's sometimes, as we experienced last year with Hurricane Ian, it only took a minute for it to veer off course just a little bit. And it went inland and caused all kinds of mayhem. So we're looking at uh, flash flooding possibly. Winds around 35, but it'll be obviously higher in the, in the uh, Passover country and the mountainous areas as you're heading in, inland in California. So if you're doing any traveling, say, between Bakersfield or L.A. or you're going from San Francisco down into, you're going to experience some rain. Rainfall impacts from Hillary within the southwestern United States are expected to peak this weekend into Monday, according to the National Hurricane Center. And they're using statements like flash, urban, and arroyo flooding being possible. You know, in other words, go to Costco, you know, on Saturday or even today and get what you got to get done. You know, the temperatures off of the California coast are cool. Uh, so that could diminish the intensity of Hurricane Harry if the forecast track brings the storm into the Golden State. And there's a big old map, and this thing right now is 
right now on the northern side of the hurricane edge is just now touching Baja. So by the time you hear this, it could already be moved up. Some stations carry the show later. So just be aware that Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you're going to start seeing increases of precipitation coming in your direction. Well, they're expecting uh, a lot of money to be spent on this year's political campaign. $534 million is forecasted so far, uh, and that is for radio. I don't know what it is. I'm sure it's probably going to be even more for TV. There's also, I'm thinking of all the stuff that's coming out of Maui. I mean, it's so heartbreaking, isn't it? You know, I'll have to talk to maybe Nan Sue about it. I know that Nan is familiar with Hawaii. And, uh, you know, there's more questions than answers. Have they announced all of the the uh, dead bodies of the children, supposedly, at home? I'm not hearing much of that. I'm hearing a lot about, well, the guy who was in charge of the sirens resigned. I saw that press conference yesterday. The, the real tragedy at this time, which I'm not sure if the media is reporting on it or not, but it's this M. Calo Manuel guy. Listen to him. Uh, he was the guy that had, he was basically in charge of the water reservoirs up, you know, up in the mountains where presumably they capture this stuff from rains. And it's for mainly agricultural, but it's basically like a backup plan, like a dam. But his perspective of water is almost a, of a religious nature. So when people were begging for water so that they could get water in their hoses and keep their houses wet, like some did, some were able to do because they had maybe their own water supply. This guy saying, no, man, uh, I can't do that. Uh, this water is godly. This, this is aqua. Listen to this guy, the way that he talks about his position and his viewpoints of nature. Per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state, one water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective. You know, in, in essence, we treated it, and Native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a god and a kua, kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was, was something that was really, really important to our worldview and, and well-being, right? And living in an island and isolated from other, you know, civilizations, and so I think where it shifted to today or over time is that we've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something w that we revere as that thing that gives us life, right? I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. And if we can start to really look at how we as humans in an island can reconnect to that traditional value set. So really my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. You know who he sounds like? He sounds like this person. Today is today. And yesterday was today, yesterday. Tomorrow will be today, tomorrow. So live today. So the future today will be as the past today. You know, they sound the same, don't they? They use all these very large multi, well, she doesn't, but you know, multi-syllable words that sound nice and they sound meaningful and they sound precious, but it, it's word salad. And basically it's just like, can you just turn the water on? I mean, can you imagine going up and seeing this guy, your house is burning down. You're like, dude, I need some water. Nah, man, we have to treat the water with respect. This is aqua we're talking about. Do you know the power of aqua? 
Aqua brings people together, not sets them apart. Yeah, you're hurling microaggressions at me, and I'm, I don't feel safe. Turn the water on. That's it. Yeah, but the tragedy here is that the guy's got lost in his own ideology and forgot about the fact that human beings were dying uh, because of his actions. So we're going to continue our discussion in just a moment, and we've got a very important guest, I think, first time on the program, Tobias Elvich, and he has recently won an award for uh, a film that he did uh, and what's going on in the transgender movement with these transition surgeries. So we'll get to this in just a moment. You're listening to Speaking Out America. Uh, Jim Watkins here. Don't forget, Monday through Friday, 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific. Also the replay, 5 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, Pacific time. Well, one thing I am excited about, getting close to the beginning of the NFL season, kind of a big fan, although the preseason has been sort of lackluster, but other getting things done. Anyway, it's just another, I, I like normalcy. I think it's always good to have a little bit of normalcy in life because things are seemingly so chaotic. Uh, so football is part of that normalcy. It's sort of therapeutic for me. And I know that summer is coming to an end in some places in the country. Fall is starting to breakthrough. We're about headed into a political season. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be infighting. It's just, it's going to be very, very messy. And all of this is unpredictable, but we're here for you. And don't forget our listen line. If you've got a comment on speaking out America, the number is 941-800-2937. Again, 941-800-2937. In a minute, we're going to be talking with a great film director about a movie that he has made that exposes the dangers of transgender surgery with young people. He has been getting all kinds of awards from major American audiences, not to mention audiences overseas. And uh, Tobias Elhog will be joining us in just a moment to talk about his documentary, which is now available. And we'll get to all that in a little bit. We do want to do our uh, what we call our Friday social, where we take a look at some of the big, well, what's trending on the Internet. You know, we're 330 million strong people. They're just putting out their ideas, putting out their thoughts. A lot of people putting out their creativity. And a lot of it is pretty good. Some of it is dark. And we like to take a look at what's trending. And here's a here's a good clip from a guy who just, just a common sense kind of guy who is just saying it like it is. Here's the common sense man. I don't know who needs to hear this, but arresting people for saying that the elections are rigged doesn't sound like a wise way to convince people that they aren't rigged. Well, makes sense to me. Uh, here's one that is, uh, you could tell that it's done by AI. And the reason I say that is because the scripting is perfect. The edits are perfect. It was done very quickly. And it, it's whoever did it, whoever created this, they get high marks for being accurate. I don't know if it's true or not. And it certainly sort of exposes how, Sometimes the internet can fuel conspiracy, but check this out. It's about Oprah Winfrey. 
Instagram has just Did you know Oprah Winfrey has been securing Maui land like it's a trending bestseller? In just 2023, she invested in a vast 520-acre plot for $3.89 million, then went for another 330 acres at $2.47 million, not to mention the two 10-acre patches she bought in 2022 for $100,000 each. From a mere 100 acres in Maui, Oprah now commands over 1,000 acres. But here's the twist. Amidst this real estate surge, a sudden fire happens, destroying mm -hmm homes nearby mm. well first of all on the on the grounds of uh, is this guy saying that it's not good for one person to own so, so much land that kind of goes against the whole point of capitalism right i mean if, if you've got all the money at the end of the monopoly game why shouldn't you be able to buy boardwalk as well as baltic avenue you know so i don't know on that ground uh is he implicating that oprah is involved with it somehow who knows but this is the kind of stuff that that people don't like about the uh, the internet can be a little bit deceiving sometimes. Hey, you know, look, uh, I lived in uh, Santa Barbara, which is uh, a neighbor to Montecito, which, where Oprah has lived for decades. And I can tell you right now, there are a lot of people that receive a ton of social services because of the tax dollars generated by people like Oprah. So be careful what you ask for. Uh, some of that tax revenue is important, and it, it certainly helps to subsidize a lot of the social programs that Santa Barbara offers to people that are under uh, in, in poverty. And there's a lot of poverty. There is no middle class that I can see in Santa Barbara. There's poor people who are sharing houses, and there's those rich people that live over there next to Oprah Winfrey. Uh, here is a uh, here is a press conference clip. Uh, on the Maui, Hawaii, FEMA is being asked, why aren't you doing anything? I heard everything you said about all the resources that are um, being brought to bear, but we keep interviewing survivor after survivor who says that uh, either they didn't see any government personnel or assistance for days or that they still haven't. Uh, how do you explain the disconnect between what they're saying and what you're saying about all the resources that are there in Maui? I think you need to understand that this community is going through an amazingly traumatic event. Uh, I can tell you that we have personnel that are on the ground year-round and embedded in with the state as soon as the fire started so we could continue to understand what resources were needed and help move them in. Yeah, that sounds like a typical government doublespeak. And first of all, you need to be <clears throat> appreciate what people are going through. That's their response. I'll tell you what is going to cost Biden the election. Uh, the fact that he graciously and generously offered the people of Maui $700, which might get you a really nice meal at a steakhouse, right, uh, for you and three of your friends, including a bottle of wine. That's $700 right there. When you factor in the tip, the valet, the electricity you needed to generate for your, your car to get to the restaurant. I mean, that is going to kill Biden. They're going to play that tape. They'll show the burning fires. They'll, they'll show the people grieving, the charred remains of relatives. And then here will be Joe Biden on the other screen offering a generous, helping, heaping $700. That's going to kill. If I was going to vote for Biden... That would have, I would say, are you kidding me? 
Uh, and then he turns around on the same day and asks for $24 billion for Ukraine on top of the other $100 billion that he's asking for as well. Unbelievable. This man is so out of touch. And FEMA represents that. There's, what, 20 people. Where, where are they? Are they all over on, in Oahu, on, on, the, on the big island maybe? Where are these people? Speaking of, uh, of Maui, here was Trump's Maui speech from earlier in the week. Joe Biden, the most incompetent president in the history of our country, with a laugh and a smile, said he had no comment on the death and the tragedy. To say no comment is oftentimes fine, but to be smiling when you say it, especially against such a tragedy as this, is absolutely horrible and unacceptable. It is a disgraceful thing that Joe Biden refuses to help or comment on the tragedy in Maui, just as he refused to help or comment on the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. In any event, hopefully everyone will be able to pull together so that a horrible situation does not get even worse. To the families affected, I give you my love and sympathy. Nothing can ever replace your loved ones, but you will always have the memories and will feel their great love surrounding and embracing you. Together, we will continue to carry their legacy forward, and I love you all very much. Thank you. Wow, pretty effective. That got a little bit of airplay, but it's trending on social media. And then there's this one I think is probably the sound clip of the week. And it's a reminder to all those people who voted for Joe Biden. I'm a reporter in New York City, and this is what I'm covering this Monday morning. I took this video at around 4.30 this morning outside the Roosevelt Hotel in Manhattan on 45th Street. This is actually on 46th Street, but I'm just showing on this side to show the line of migrants that are sleeping on the sidewalk. Now, these are asylum seekers. They arrived in New York City a couple of days ago, hoping to get processed at the Roosevelt Hotel. Now, this was an iconic hotel. It's been in movies, but it shut down about three years ago and reopened earlier this year as an intake center for asylum seekers. Now, this weekend, they were at capacity, so these migrants were left to sleep on the sidewalk. You can see the only thing separating them from the concrete is cardboard. Except for these folks here, you can see them sleeping right on the concrete, right on the sidewalk directly. If you've been following news out of New York City, you know that this isn't new. This has been happening for the past couple of months. There have been more than 93,000 asylum seekers that have arrived here in the city. And you know what? It's it's like a third world country now. It is, really. George Soros must be just grinning from ear to ear about the devastation that he's wrought on these fair shores. And Biden just playing into all of it. Stay tuned. Tobias Elhog is going to join us to talk about transgender surgery in a film that he's just made. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Speaking Out America. I am Jim Watkins, and I am so glad to have on the program uh, for our introductory time. Uh, we're going to introduce you to a filmmaker who has received uh, a ton of accolades for his film, which is called Trend, uh, Gender Transformation, The Untold Realities, having just recently won a documentary award, a POV, which I assume means point of view documentary award, at the Manhattan Film Festival. 
uh, producer and director Tobias Elvidge. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly, Elvidge? Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty well. Yeah, it's Elvhag actually. Uh, uh, okay, Elvhag. Okay, fine. And you are in Sweden. And uh, this yeah. movie that you made, tell us a little bit about what got you involved in making this movie. And I assume we're both talking about what happens when uh, people get gender transformation, uh, whether it involves surgery or uh, hormone blockers or estrogen blockers. And something made you decide to make this movie. Tell me what made you decide the, to make the, the documentary. And we'll start from there. Sure. Yeah, it was uh, Epoch Times. Uh, they reached out to me because I've been working with them for, I guess it's uh, about four years now. And um, they liked my earlier productions and they said now they are going to produce uh, a lot of, of high quality documentaries in hot subjects that are in need of, of exploration. And transgender is one of those topics um, that they so that there's a great need to, to dive into and, and, you know, get it nuanced. So, yeah, they asked me to if I wanted to do something. And at first, actually, I I was a little bit hesitant. I, I didn't know too much about the, the subject matter. Uh, so I did some, yeah, did a lot of research before I said yes. And there was actually a, a Swedish documentary, or actually four of them, that was they, they were made by the Swedish state television, and these documentaries, they were featuring um, what you call detransitioners, uh, people who have regretted their decision to, you know, uh, transition into another gender. So uh, they were young, most of them, and uh, they had gone on what they call puberty blockers, uh, something that they take to, to block the puberty. And uh, then they have gone on um, cross hormones. So if you're a girl you go on testosterone and uh, if you're a boy you go on estrogen so and and some of them had had also gone through surgery um so i saw one one of these documentaries especially made a, a huge impact on me and there was a case uh, where there was a girl and she had been on these pubic blockers uh, for four years and after these four years uh, the, the bone density in her body had become so weak, so she could hardly stand up. It had, you know, severely affected her whole body, and she could not live a, a normal life. So, and she didn't even want to be interviewed. It was her her, her mother who was so sad uh, of, of what happened to her. So, for me, it was like it was so shocking to see that this is happening to children uh, all over the world, and it's, you know, it's a yeah, it's it's pushed by by um, yeah by by education system. It's pushed by uh, the internet uh, communities uh, online, and yeah, there's a a lot of, of influences um, that that the children get were at you, an early age. Were and, you worried yeah. when you made the film? Were you worried you were going to get more pushback? I, I assume you're from Sweden. Sweden's pretty liberal uh, about transgenderism. Uh, educate me on that were you worried about getting pushback and and what is the current environment for you in your home country yeah that's a good question so actually um i was not that afraid and i thought maybe it's really good that i made it uh because uh, since i'm from sweden and we already had all these documentaries made by the state television so 
people here, when I talk to friends and colleagues and whatever here, they are uh, they are pretty much having the same idea as I have that this is completely wrong to do this towards children. And after these, you know, documentaries also, the, the National Board of Welfare here in Sweden, they changed the policy. So now it's actually much harder for children to go on these tube lockers. And uh, usually you have to wait until you're uh, over 20 or 25 years old. So, uh, no, I was not concerned for myself. Um, but when I was in the U.S., I could see that many people that I interviewed and, and the climate is very controversial. It's very... Yeah, it's a it's a sensitive subject. So yeah, I then I, I thought it's even more important that, that yeah. we do it and we do it well, not not biased, but but do it like just put the the facts uh, out there in a, in a good manner. You must have been a little taken aback at receiving the Manhattan Award, uh, just based on what you said, because you're right, it's very controversial. In fact, many adults won't even talk about it because they're afraid they'll be ostracized if they if they if they have the appearance that they're against transgender people, which is not the case at all. Uh, in, w- tell me one story that really just broke you down and, and perhaps hit you in a particular way, one person's story in your documentaries. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's actually the main story of the documentary. And uh, it's, it's a mother um, that we interviewed, a mother of... Uh, a girl who started to transition, taking these puberty blockers. And she started to go on this quite early. When she was 13, she got she got into it. And then she started, uh, later on, she started on the puberty blockers. And yeah, uh, I, I don't want to disclose too much, sure. but it's such a heart-gripping story. So uh, um, it actually made us change the documentary, the, the angle of the documentary a little bit. So uh, after we... We heard her story. One of yeah, we all felt really sad. We actually, you know, the cameraman is a very tough guy, and he yeah. was even crying, you know, during the interview. It was like a long interview with her, oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we were also touched by it. So it made us change actually the direction a little bit. So we focused more on this particular story, and we even dramatized it. So we we made. Um, this uh, so it's like a you know a drama documentary mm-hmm. and uh, docudrama and that means that it's like uh, there's scenes with actors so we we made these reenactments of her story just to show uh, because we thought it was such a good example to show all the the mechanisms in place for for children and how easy it is to to you know be be influenced to 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 do something that maybe you're not uh, mature enough to 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 do. Let me ask you, uh, one of the mechanisms is the medical industry and the industry that promotes, you know, transgender surgery, reassignment surgery. What's your take? Uh, what do you do you think that they're doing it just for profit? What What's the motivating factor for the health industry to get behind transgenderism and surgery and all that? What's driving? Yeah, it's a yeah, what's driving them? That's also a very good question that we explore in the documentary. And it, there's not a, a very easy answer. And I don't think uh, that there's all like all doctors that are into it are greedy. Of course not. Uh, but I think there's some sur- sur- surgeons. Uh, of course, they are driven because they, are, they see there's a great need for this. Uh, they ha- it has become a great need because of all these influences. Um, but I think uh, actually also there's a lot of doctors and, and surgeons, they might even think that they are doing something good, you know, because 
um, what I would say, I would call it like propaganda. It, it's been a lot of, you know, uh, yeah, a, a lot of propaganda, what I say, that 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 propagate that, oh, if you don't, uh, you know, approve the, the children's new identity, they might even, you know, commit suicide. So you're actually, then you're thinking you're doing a good thing for the children. Um, because if they don't change their gender, they might get in, you know, a lot of trouble. They might even kill themselves. So if you believe that, of course, you, you even think you're doing a good thing to, to help them change their gender. So I think that's, that's part of it. Do you think that the facts say the opposite, that more people who, who go through with this kind of surgery, particularly at a young age, they end up being unhappier in, in general? Or do you think, what's your, what's your take on yeah. that? Yeah, that's that's what we found out through the experts and the, the parents and also some of the detransitioners um, in the documentary. That, that's what, what many of them say. Uh, I would say all of them say that, that it's actually the opposite. And I think there's, you know, if you look at the, the long-term studies uh, that are actually in Scandinavia and Finland and Sweden, they also uh, point to that very clearly, that that actually there might be a much higher percentage or risk that you commit suicide if you change your gender. Mm -hmm. So, um, but if you only look at the short-term studies, that's also very sad because some of these studies are actually made by, uh, do you call it lobbying? Yeah, so these this kind of organizations are actually behind it. And so people- Propaganda. Think, oh, yeah, it's, it's actually- you know, it's they are biased. If you look uh, on on like closer on how, how they actually are made, you see there's uh, it's not not uh, scientifically uh, done in a, in the right manner. Sure, Tobias yeah. Elhog uh, is also I want to mention uh, is the CEO of Phoenix Films F E N I X, and you can actually go to the official website and check out this film. It's uh, gendertransformation.com gendertransformation.com and you can see this documentary that Tobias has received numerous awards for its groundbreaking so I hope people will see your film and share it uh, Tobias thank you very much yeah I'm, I'm yeah happy for for your your work as well and, and well, the interview and well, um, we'll have yeah, you back hope, on uh, again and talk more about this uh, so Tobias thanks again once again go to gendertransformation.com if you want to see the film that's the official website and the name of the film, again, Gender Transformation, The Untold Realities. Thanks again, Tobias. Look, I'm afraid that we have to wrap it up at this point. I do want to thank you again for stopping by. I hope you have a great weekend. And don't forget our SpeakingOutAmerica.com website. The podcast is there, too. And our listen line, comment line, 941-800-2937. Until next time, thanks for stopping by Speaking Out America. I'm Jim Watkins.